Turn to Ephesians, if you would. Um, we're going to be in Ephesians 2 a bit. Um, I, do want, I, I do want this... Uh, I want this to be a conversation, if we can. So that means I'll need you to converse with me. So you'll have to say things, or I'll just talk awkwardly through what I thought would be your conversation back to me in the preparation, which is fine if we want that. So um, that's what we're going to do, though. Um, I do want to give a little quick background. Uh, last week we did Mother's Day. It was we, we did Mother's Day. We celebrated Mother's Day here. It was awesome. We started this new day. Um, it was great. Uh, Matthew did an awesome job putting together um, a baby dedication uh, service and Mother's Day and celebrating uh, just kind of motherhood and all that comes with that and uh, how beautiful it is and how difficult it is and the tensions that, that you have to live in. And it's, it was a beautiful service, and, and I'm thankful for everyone that got to be a part of that. Um, but before, those, before that, though, we had two weeks where we've been looking at the, the gathering and sending impulses of the church, okay? So we talked about, as individuals, how a lot of times we feel this strange tension because sometimes, either because the way we were raised or kind of the culture we've lived in or maybe just because of our natural tendencies and our personalities, we are, we are sometimes, and it is oversimplifying it, but we a lot of times either want to, to kind of be these sent people and we say, you know what, I, I just want to move somewhere else. You're, you're the biggest thing sometimes some of you think about before you go to bed is, where can I move next? And what will be this next crazy adventure I will have? And that is a beautiful thing. That is, that is a lovely thing about you. And, and honestly, one of the great things about that personality or that, that desire person is that that is oftentimes the apostles of the church have been people that, Say, you know what, let's go to this place, or I'm going to go to that neighbor, or ah, that makes me happy to throw a crazy party for those neighbors, and to do this, and to be this kind of person, right? And so we, we have that, and then also, though, that person a lot of times, though, feels this strange phantom guilt about why, though, do I not get overly excited to get up at 9.30 to come to a worship service? And you've always struggled with that. And it's been something you're like, I just don't like going. If, it was, if I was pinned down, that would be some people would actually say that. And then you have, and I know it's not just two groups of people, but you have people that their desire and their passions and their incredible giftings sometimes show themselves best when they're with a body of believers that need them desperately to provide health, to provide them encouragement and love, to just to say, you know what? Digging deeper to me means helping you understand Ephesians like a champ. Let me help you. Let's do this together. And so they love the, these people. We love the corporate gathering, the worship gathering, the part of restored groups that makes you crazy excited is the fact that you get to see these wonderful people that are struggling just like you and you want to help them and them help you in this journey. And a lot of times, this crowd sometimes feels attention and feels this random phantom guilt about, man, I'm just, I'm just not as comfortable with crazy people like this guy is. Or I'm just not as comfortable going to happy hour with my coworkers and listening to whatever conversation. And it's hard for me. And so we have this tension with us in the body. And it is a beautiful tension. And we say, be who you are. Be excited about that. Let us help both groups of those people, I'm going to need you to cover my blind spots. I would love 
to help you with yours. And we talked about how we do that as individuals. And that shows itself wonderfully as we're in groups of people. As we are in collectives, whether it be restore groups or whether it be with a group of friends that you play cards with. Or whether it be with your, your co-workers who you love and you would kill someone for, right? Don't kill someone for someone, but if you would do that, right? And so it shows itself best. Your giftings and your kind of natural attitude and tendencies shows itself best in a group of people. Because again, then the group is not one-sided. The group doesn't have to hate the tension, but it can thrive within it. And we talked about that. And I, and I hope you know that we mean what we say when we say we, we love that about us. And then today what I want us to talk about a little bit, and we're going to get there slowly, is I want us to talk about as a church body. I'm not just talking about this church body that meets here in this warehouse, but the church in Austin, Texas, the the body of believers pushing the kingdom forward in Austin, Texas, and across the world. How do we show this gathering and sending impulse? And what is our role at ANC East in this gathering and sending impulse that hopefully will change the world around us or why would we even do this, right? And so I want us to get there, but we're going we're gonna, to, we'll get there. Let's just say that. All right. Let's start in verse 11. It says this, one in Christ here. It's talking about the, the one instead of heaven. It says, therefore, at first. If you see a therefore in scripture, and this is incredibly cheesy. If you see a therefore in scripture, you should go back and see what it's there for. <laughs> So, but that's what you have to do. That's what you have to do to understand what's coming next, right? Y'all did actually laugh. I was like, that's not funny. But we're good. Okay, so uh, what he talks about, though, he's talking about how Christ's body and death makes one alive. And it says the actual life and death of Jesus isn't just where life comes from. It's not just where your forgiveness is kind of birthed, but it is how you will experience it. It is not just the vehicle, but it is but it's also the embodiment of it in every way. He says, you once were alienated from Christ because of all these things. He says, however, now you have been made alive through Christ. And he, and he goes through this, and it's a beautiful, beautiful section. But then after that, he says, but, but this should lead us to something. This renewal, this transformation, this being made alive should lead us towards something. And this is what it is. Therefore, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called... Um, by what is called the circumcision, which has made you, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He's done this by abolishing the law and the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. So here's the first question here. What is this hostility that he brings up a few times? He says, therefore, I want this hostility killed. He says, now, you're going to have to be reconciled. You were once two, now you're going to be made one. He says, Christ himself is our peace. What is this hostility versus the peace in this passage? You, you can look back at it if you, have your, if you have your Bible. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, there's a stack over here. You should just take some home. That's totally fine. Anyone? 
What is this hostility that he's talking about? Between the Jews and Gentiles is one of them. That's exactly right. What else? That hostility can mean other things, which is beautiful about kind of this phrase that he's using here. What else? Right. Exactly. So you have this Jew and Gentile idea, which he talks about very specifically. And then he also alludes to and talks specifically enough about the idea that some are going to say, I'm celebrating being in Christ. And there are some that are not going to celebrate that. And he says, I even want the hostility there to be removed. I don't want there to be hostility there. That's, in my, in my opinion, that's in the first this passage, that's why it says, you too were once something. Relax. Let the hostility be, be free from you. What else? Law and grace. There, is a, there had been, until this time, a great hostility between the two. Because when is which one appropriate? Right? When is it to be appropriated? When is it supposed to be shown to a nation, shown to an individual, shown to a group? And now Christ says, I'm going to abolish the two, and I'm going to make it one, removing the hostility between law and grace. Right? What else? Between the flesh and the spirit as well. Even within a man or a woman there, I still need to go. One more. Let's have one more from someone. How about this then? What does it mean for Christ to be our peace? What does that imply? A lot of us have probably said that. Or we've said, peace to you in Christ. Like, maybe you don't say that. I don't, I don't say that very often. I don't, I don't know why I said that. <laughs> it's like I walk around, uh, peace to you. I don't do that, as it turns out. <laughs> what would that maybe mean? Do what now? Okay. Having a peace that's embodied by a someone is a very interesting thing, isn't it? That is. Do what? Having contentment in him. What does it mean to have something in Christ? Because you're right. Contentment in Christ is something we'll all probably long for. What does it mean to have, to have peace, to have contentment, to have love in an individual? What does, that, what does that mean? We say that a lot. What does that mean? Which is, Sarah Hansen, a wonderful segue to him being the cornerstone in the next passage, which is what he talks about exactly. He says, in fact, that can best be described as, I am the building block for which your peace will come from. I, I embody it. It will come from me. It will be by me, for me, through me. You must only have it through myself, through my life, through my death, through my actions, right? And here's what I'm getting at in this very first part of this passage here. We're saying all these answers, and they're lovely. Here's the deal. How is this hostility ended? What, how did it happen? How is this peace now our cornerstone? How is the law and grace now made one together? How is our flesh and spirit now made one? How are Jews and Gentiles finally supposed to love each other? How are the haves and haves not? How are the rich and the poor? How are the poor in spirit and rich in spirit? How has that hostility been divided? And he explains it so well. He says, Christ came to you. He says, he, he actually went towards you and drew you near. 
in the passage before. The entire thing, I, I do believe Paul is really trying to say, it's not the fact that, no, no, you, you made a great decision one day. And whether, no matter what kind of church background, you either walked an aisle or said something important or you went to a class, you did whatever, good for you. Now you get rewards. He says, no, the very fact is Christ came near to you and in fact made you alive. He says, this hostility is ended because he himself has ended it. The peace is his action of cornerstone. The the peace is built through his life and he thus went far to you. He went far to me. What, What an amazing, wonderful leap to come to us. I know me and I know for him to be gracious to me every day is such a profound leap. I know what I'm deserving. We joked early earlier about how much I say I want to punch people. Who randomly says that? And then they ask, where do you work? And I tell them other jobs before ANC because I just said I want to punch a guy, right? Like, it's a wonderful leap for him to come to me. And here's the deal. As a church, we get to then join that leap to the world. And that is beautiful. The hostility gets to end through you and our going, through our sentness, through us being in a place. Matthew likes to quote this passage in Acts, and I love it also. And Paul tells a group of of Athenians, he says, you know, the fact that you have the jobs you have, you live in the place you live, in the time you live, maybe, just maybe, you live there so that you and the people around you might reach God and find him because he is not far from where you are. Exactly where you are, he is close to that. He has made a gigantic leap. And so as a body, we then have to figure out, it is is not just an option. It is not just, oh, it's a wonderful opportunity when we feel like it and are not exhausted. And when we have the money and when we're not worshiping with ourselves happily. No, it is our beautiful joy and role to find a way to make the leap for our community. We must find a way to end hostility in our community. The peace must be brought through Christ, through us, to our neighbors. It must. Why do you even live there but to do that? Why do I work in the places I work and frequent the coffee establishments that I frequent? And why do I see some of you on such a regular basis but to do that very thing? to make the incredible jump and to bring hostility to an end. And to say, no, you also are one in Christ. Let us enjoy that reality together. This senseness that Jesus embodied to come to us, we now as a church must replicate over and over and over again with our lives and our songs in our hands. We, in fact, are sewn together with the threads of grace in that way. We must give it. We must be sent people. It must embody our self. And he goes on and he, he, he explains how this works so beautifully. And he, and he says from that in verse 17, and he came and preached peace I was supposed to include this in the last part. He came and preached peace to you who were once far off. 
peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit of God. And so then see, we have this sentence and then he is going to, the focus wholeheartedly on our woven togetherness. All right, let's go back. I want to ask a question about this here. It says, so you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Why would he use that term, you're members of the household of God? Why, why would he say, why do you use household? He talked citizens. He talked nationalistic kind of language. He says, you're no longer aliens, but you're this. Cultural ones saying, Jew and Gentile is no longer a distinction, like he just said a while ago. Then he, he uses house at why? Family. Why is that why is that important for him to, to use, do you think? Anyone, sorry, I was looking at you because you answered that one. <laughs> Anyone? Why why would family be an important word he would want to use? That he would that he would use as the third metaphor there in a row. Why would he do that? You're kind of in. As it turns out, sometimes that's awesome. And sometimes it's awesome. <laughs> Less. <laughs> you know? It's not as, you know, what else? Why else is household an important, important term for him to use here? Hmm, interesting. Also adopted into the family. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Hopefully you can still be welcome at the table, right? What did you say? Someone said something right here. Right? You have this accountability in family. Hopefully. Hopefully that's a part of family. What else? Actually, here's a question. And honest thoughts on this. Does a family need everyone to fulfill their role to be a healthy family? Some of you are nodding. Some of you are not nodding. Wait, you're shaking your head. You're not nodding. You're opposite of nodding. Why and why not is, is what I mean. Why do you need why do you need the members of the family to participate? There's like seven people nodding over here. It's family section. Just kidding. Go ahead. They produce something. (laughs) 
Okay. So, so the fact that God the Father would be the head of this, this proverbial household, then, in fact, he would want people to play the role. But he knows sometimes there's seasons in which the people will consume in the family, and there are times when they won't interact. I see what you mean. That's, that's good. That's really good. What else? Here's what I'll say then. I'll just, I'll just actually say this answer is what I think about that question. That question puzzles me quite a bit, especially in view of a church, right? I know of just a, a, I say a regular family, a normal family. I know, um, I've been in families in which there is a death in the family and you know, that person is no longer in the family to play that role. And in fact, the family is deficient. And I've been in in my family, there's been untimely deaths, you would say. I guess all death would, I would, I would argue vehemently that it's untimely. But you would, you would say that is most certainly not the time. And it leaves such a dramatic wreck and crash where that person was within the family that, yes, the family may be healthy and go on and do wonderful things as a family, but it will not do them in the same way. The family will not have the same noises. It won't have the same flavor, right? And we know that when a child rebels and leaves the home too early or in anger or in strife or in frustration, the family, although it can work and can do lovely things, cannot do them the same way. It just can't do them the same way. It's, it's, it's injured. The body, the arm is broken and it may grow back, it may be fine. I mean, I can hold Asher and do things with one hand in my house, but I don't do them as well, right? And so for us as a body, as a family, I think one of the, one of the most beautiful parts of this passage is he does call it a household. He does say, in fact, it does work together so closely. Y'all said beautiful things about what makes a family important, what makes it special. We are in the process right now, my wife and I, we, we are continually trying to figure out what is going to be the culture of our family. What is going to be, what, when people see us, what will they say about our family? What will we tell our son? He's, we just whisper to him all the time that he is just made of forgiveness because he's so kind and forgets that we're ridiculous sometimes and grins at us. And we say, you are made of it. You're made of it. You're made of it. And hopefully he knows that he is, so he does, right? And so we're in this process of setting a culture for a family. And here's the thing. We also are. You and I are setting a culture for this family. If you don't like the culture where this family is going, please set it better with us. Set it, set it better. Set a new one. Let's, let's really do this. And I know that sounded so ridiculous, but I, This family is setting its culture. This household needs its members, needs its body to to work and to act and to care for each other. There's other scriptures where, where Paul talks about the body being different. And he says, some parts need more attention. And so the parts that don't need as much attention care for the parts that do because they love, they're all one body. It's all the same. It needs to work well together. And so I would say, we must be able to gather together and love each other and figure out our culture as a body. We must. We must be able to do it. We must not be so incredibly... That's not true. We must be both incredibly, fearlessly, sometimes recklessly sent 
We must bridge that. We must go and be sent people for the love. We, with the same intensity and the same care and the same passion, must love each other well. Set the culture we dream of. One of the most beautiful things in the world was last week when we got to have breakfast together and spend time and hear each other laugh and meet each other's mothers, <laughs> hug each other, eat a ton of donuts and breakfast tacos. Is that the culture we want here? Then let's make it be. That is what we get to do. That is what we must get to do. He goes on, and, and again, beautifully, it's built on the foundation of the apostles and even the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. In him you are also being built together to be a dwelling place by the Spirit of God. It's this idea that we are being knitted and built together at all times. There's, there's this funny thing, uh, a friend of mine, I guess, I can, I can call you a friend of mine, I was at a Habitat site the other day, and he's here, and we were, we're building a house. The house has a jillion moving parts. Not, that's not true. It has a bunch of parts. Some of them move. Some of them better not move, ever. But there's a bunch of different parts, right? There's this one job that we have um, in the middle of the building. It's right in the middle, and everyone hates it, okay? It's, it's putting on these little metal brackets called hurricane ties. They look so incredibly insignificant. I, in fact, also hate them. And they're small, and they're awkward, and for some reason, they're not intuitive to people to be able to fit into the place they go, holding the roof onto the walls, right? And you have to hit very small, thick nails into the smallest space ever, and not everyone uses a hammer every day, so they smash their fingers relentlessly. It's sometimes very awkward because you have to nail something into metal, which is very tricky. And so we have to use these, this tool called a palm nailer, and it's terrible. It's the loudest tool in the whole world. It's the most annoying tool in the whole world. We hate that part of the build. But if we don't do it, if we don't knit the house together with this unwanted task, first of all, we'll fail an inspection, and the roof really will come off if there's a tornado. It's very possible the roof will be removed, and everyone in the house will get to see a tornado from two feet away. It's, it's very important. It is incredibly important to have onto the house. It, in fact, knits the house together. This, this terribly difficult, frustrating task that I refuse to do also. I'll let volunteers do it every time because they are going to love it more than me. So I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that or paint, and so I will not do those things. But as that is done and the house is knit together, you move on. And there, there are so many things that, in fact, build this structure. So many different, I'm not even trying to be cheap, different gifts, but it's also different materials and different things and different jobs and all these strange, seemingly insignificant parts. And, and I know we're not, I know, again, it, it can be sometimes silly to use this language, but this, this metaphorical house, God says this building, is always being built. We're not going to be finished building this year, I'm afraid. <laughs> this church isn't going to come to maturity and fruition in six months, that's not our goal, in fact. That will, not, that will not happen for us. New problems will arise. New people will come with new problems, which is great. 
I will develop new ridiculous problems. There will be new joys. There will be new frustrations. There will be new tragedies, I'm afraid. But we want to be a house built for the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. We are not joking when we say it. We hope for the love that you are not, you do not take that lightly. Because yes, we are to be sent and we will send and we will be sent people. We also will be people who build together with just all the love and grace we can muster for each other, all the humility, all the goodness we can give to each other. We will build with that and we will gather well. And your God's groups that get together your women's groups that get together and your restore groups and your groups where you try to figure out how to raise children together, they hopefully will love each other so dearly as to hold the house together. As messy as it will be and as frustrating and as many fingers as we may have smashed in the process, we must do it well. As a body, we must. So, this is getting into practical, like what ANC is doing and what we're attempting as ANC, right? Um, we are, right now, it's, it's been a very exciting time East. We've loved it. I, I feel very lucky and I feel just blessed like crazy. Matthew and I will, will sit and almost said talk about you. We talk about some of you and the joys in your life and we just love it. It's what we, it's what we dream of doing. It's what I've been dreaming of doing, to be honest with you. Because this is, hopefully, the church a lot of us are dreaming of. Becoming. We have so far to go. We have so much to build. We have, we have so many places to be sent, in fact. We, we hope to be this. And as we're doing that, um, we, we've had this new kind of prayer and this new desire has started to, to well up at the board of ANC. Um, we know, too, that, that this place to meet, this group of people... Is, is sometimes very different from ANC West and South. Sometimes it is not very different. Sometimes it is. We celebrate that so serious in staff meetings and in board meetings. It's very exciting to all of us that, that the difference in faces and stages of life and the different frustrations and the different joys, it's, it's lovely, right? We also know, too, that as ANC, we have said so long ago, so many times, hopefully with all of our actions, it's not our goal to be the biggest church in the city, and we're obviously not even, we would not probably achieve that goal if that was the goal. I mean, I know everyone wants to come to the warehouse, but probably if you want to be the biggest church in the city, you should have a bigger place. Anyway, so we say instead, we want to church the city. We want to bring blessing through the body of Christ to the city. Hopefully, we make decisions that way. Sometimes we do not. Sometimes we fail at those decisions greatly. That is the attempt, right? And in that prayer, and in that mindset, lately this, this prayer has come up and this desire has come up in us for, honestly, just the prayers have been, what do we need to do to start new churches and new expressions that won't look like East and will not look like Southwest? What can we do to make sure that an expression this free, like what's happening here, can continue and do that? And how can we do that all over the city? So one of the things being prayed about right now is for, for ANC East to be its own body. And to say, we will, will now be, have more autonomy, 
more identity in what East is and what the people here represent and what the people here dream to do, what the people here are attempting to do in our area and in the city, because it, it will be more, honestly, it will be more fluid and more lovely for everyone for leaders at ANC to rise and decide and dream about what we're going to do as East. And so what we're doing right now is praying through what that looks like. And also, just to be very open about it, there is, doesn't look like very many ways to start new churches all over the city until one is supporting of itself and helping the other starting those new churches. Does that make sense? To be able to say, we want to utilize everyone's giving and finances better, well, appropriately for the good of not just us. That's my personal desire on that, and we are trying to do that now. But that is a way we will be able to do that. We will to use more money to, to be in other areas and be in other places and help church planners that are on the fringe and scared to death are not going to have rent for their awkward, fun, crazy people at their church. So we are dreaming that now and we want you to pray and, and as we seek wisdom in that, as we seek to say, okay, East, what does that look like for us? How can we be such a sent people? How can we be such a beautiful gathering of people? How can we love each other so well and support each other so well that we then create in this leadership? And, and honestly, church, the city of Austin, and so we're praying about that right now, and it's very exciting, to be honest with you. Super stoked. Very stoked. It's, it's been the most positive, exciting thing to pray about as far as structurally, as the body, in a long time, to be honest. So I just want to invite you in to pray for that, invite you to ask questions about that. We, we, we're not, we haven't settled anything out. Obviously, we would be telling you those things. <laughs> um, and I also want to tell you that when... And those things are dreamed up, we will obviously ask and talk to you and get wisdom from you and love hearing what steps we should take and love hearing what you're praying and hearing and love talking about these things with you. That's where we're going in the next bit. It's very exciting.